I'd like for you to turn with me to the second book of Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And we want to continue in the study of, uh, uh, in the life of David. 2 Samuel chapter 7. There is a line from an old hymn, unfortunately, which is not in our hymnals, that goes like this. What he takes or what he gives us shows the Father's love so precious. And it's not easy to sing what he gives us shows the Father's love for us so precious. It's a little more difficult to sing what he takes from us shows the Father's love so precious. That takes a little more faith to sing that. But sometimes love is an expression of taking from us what is not best for us. And oftentimes the greatest expression of His love is that which He takes from us that will not fulfill His best plan for us. And what we want to deal with tonight is this whole problem of broken dreams becomes so confusing sometimes. I had a young couple who were um, friends of mine, active in my church at North Fort Worth in Fort Worth, Texas, seminary students, and they were in love. They were engaged to be married. And they had come to the seminary because they both felt a call of God, Christian vocation, and they both felt that God had meant for them to be married, that He brought them together in love to be married. But not long before their marriage, the young lady felt, began to feel, that this is not, was not God's plan for her, that indeed it wasn't within the will of God for her to marry this young man. And he felt like it was. He couldn't understand why she broke off the engagement here were two people following as best they could the will of God. One felt that it was God's will for them to be married for a lifetime. The other felt that it was not. How could that be? How could it be that one felt that it was right and the other felt that it was not right? And how could it be that we think in categories sometime when we try to determine is this right and this wrong? How can one who is following God feel that this is right and the other feel that it is wrong? So confusing. And it is illustrated graphically and beautifully in the life of David. When a person has a dream that he feels that he's fulfilling the plan of God and all of a sudden he comes against a brick wall in trying to follow the will of God and God says no. So I want you to begin reading with me and we're going to read first of all about this brief interlude in the life of David and get some application. We're going to do that three times. So follow with me. Now it came about when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies that the king said to Nathan the prophet. It's the first time we get a glimpse of Nathan the prophet who is going to be so prominent in the life of David later on. See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. 
And, 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 and Nathan said to, to the king, Go do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. This interlude. First of all, it is a time of domestic peace. And he's living in this house that has cedar paneling. It must have been a beautiful place. And when you read this first verse, you can almost see David sitting by a fireplace in his robe and slippers, you know, reading a good book. Everything is just so peaceful and tranquil. And over the mantle of his fireplace, the word shalom, peace, has come to him. And his children are playing at his feet. And his wife is happy. She's fixing them a cup of hot cocoa and everything is just wonderful and right. It's a time of domestic peace. No trouble or turmoil in his marriage, family. It's a time of national rest. The Bible says, the scripture there that I read says that he had peace from every side, from all his enemies. It can't be said of David that very often. No giant shouting obscenities to him. No King Saul pursuing him into the mountain caves. And no chariot wheels grinding on the pavement as the battering rams and the instruments of war come against him. It's a time of national rest. And it's a time when he has this great desire in his heart to build a house for God. Now there's no ulterior motive here at all. He's, wanting, he's not wanting a name for himself. He's not wanting to do something to be a monument to him when he's gone like so many preachers, you know, I think are guilty. I'm going to build me a great church so I can have my name on it when I'm gone and have that, pros, that, that posterity to, to look back on. There's no ulterior motive here at all. He just wants to build a house for God. Two applications now. I want you to jot these down. First, is that it is during the interludes of life that we oftentimes seize a dream. During the interludes of life that we oftentimes realize objectives. In this first interlude, David's thinking to himself, God has been so good to me, I want to do something great for God. It might happen sometime when you go home from church. You've just been at church and there's been a meaningful service. So you go into your bedroom and close the door. And there on your knees beside your bed, you're just so grateful for what God has done in your life. And you're thinking about that. Your children are healthy and your, your, your home is happy. And everything is going so greatly. You just are so grateful. There on your knees, you make these promises to God. You're going to do something big for Him. Sometimes it happens at camp, at Falls Creek. There is this brief interlude in a young person's life and he goes off and he's separated from others that might uh, not understand his walk with God. And there in that setting, in that environment that's so supercharged with God's presence and spirit, there in that interlude on the back row of the tabernacle, he promises God he'll go to the ends of the earth for him. Or as he walks toward the cabin some night or out as he makes his way in, into the dark, he promises God, he, I'll be a missionary. I, I know you're leading me to that. I'll surrender to preach. 
And in these interludes of life, we make these promises and we seize these dreams. Second application. Sometimes the dream comes from God, sometimes it's not for Him. And it's so confusing sometimes to determine which. Now notice there are two dreams in this text. There's the dream that David had and there's the dream that God had. And they are both noble dreams and they are both great dreams. The, the difference is that one was God's dream and the other was David's dream. And to complicate matters, there's always some well-meaning person, some friend like Nathan who says, go for it. You need to do that. God's in that. You need to follow through on that dream. And we get, sometimes we get mixed up. What is really our dreams, we interpret to be God's dreams. And what we interpret to be God's will is really just our desire. Comes in the interlude of life. Notice the divine response that comes through Nathan. Follow reading with me. But it came about in the same night. I, I notice from this that God doesn't want us to get too far down the road with our dreams and our objectives without putting some kind of, of halt to that. He doesn't want us, and I'm absolutely convinced of this, and I've shared this many times, that if you feel like that God is calling you, this is God's will for your life, you start off in that direction trusting God. If it's not His will, He's going to close the door. And it happened the same night. And, Nathan's, and, and, and it came about the same night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? Are you really the one? For I've not dwelt in the house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Wherever I've gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, I want you to look at a parallel verse, the same experience written by a different hand. I want you to turn. Everybody who's got a Bible needs to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Make that 17. 1 Chronicles chapter 17 the same experience, just a little bit, just written a little bit differently. Put some heavy light on it. Look at this. First Chronicles 17, 3 and 4. And it came about the same night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell David my servant, thus says the Lord, you shall not build a house for me to dwell in. And all of a sudden, the door slams shut to this noble and great dream that David had in his life. Co-wham, the door slams shut. Now, I've observed in the years that I've been here and serving God that oftentimes God speaks to us through others. I heard this a seminary professor tell about this guy who surrendered to preach later in life and came to the seminary. It was obvious he couldn't preach a lick. Now, the guy was a great guy, 
but he just couldn't communicate. And it was obvious he'd been listening to the wrong voice. But how are you going to, you know, who's going to tell him that? And in his preaching class, it, it came time for the preaching professor to, you know, to, to sit down with him and, you know, and let's face the facts about your sermons, you know, kind of thing. So he had all this stuff he made up. He was going to kind of hint, you know, <laughs> that maybe God was calling him really to be an educational director or something like that. But the longer they talked and the more he hinted, the more the guy was just convinced God had called him to preach. And finally he said to the preaching professor, he said, God has given me the gift of preaching. And the preaching professor looked at him and said, he may have given you the gift of preaching, but he's not given the gift of listening to you, to anybody else. Well, that got the word across. And so God spoke through Nathan to David saying, it's not my plan for you to build the temple. Watch this carefully. It's not God's plan for everybody to build a temple. And you fill in the blanks as to what that means. Now, 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 now watch with me, look at with me at the refusal of the request, how God deals with this. It's a beautiful thing. See God's affirmation of David. Now the point I want to make is that when God says no to your dream, it is not necessarily because you have sinned or you got something wrong with you. It just may be that God says no to your plan, your dream, because He wants to redirect that plan and that dream. Now notice His affirmation. Look at verse 8. Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be ruler over my people Israel. David, I called you to be a king, not a temple builder. Look at verse 9. And I have been with you wherever you've gone, have cut you off from your enemies from before you. I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth, David, I didn't call you, call you to build a temple. I called you to be a soldier, a man of war. You're not a builder, you're a soldier. You see, God is not saying to David, you're not worthy to do this for me. He's saying, I got something over here better for you to do. It's not that I have no place for you, it's just that I have this place for you. Verse 12. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name. And when we know who that was, that was his son Solomon. It's not a question of sin or judgment. God is saying, I'm going to say no to you but say yes to your son. Now watch this. Oftentimes, what the Christian life is about is accepting God's no and living in the mystery of His will. It's accepting God's no 
and living in the mystery of His will. He doesn't have to explain why. Now I want you to look at another parallel verse. It's 2 Chronicles chapter 6. 2 Chronicles this time, chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. Follow as I read it. Just takes the guilt out of all of this. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well, but it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son who shall be born to you, he shall build the house for my name. Now what God is saying is this, I knew that in your heart you wanted to do this for me, and that's what counts I knew your desire was to do something great for me. And I'm commending you for the thought that was in your heart. The longer I live in serving God, the more I'm convinced that what God really measures is not what man does, is not so much his action, but his attitude, his desire, his motive, what is in his heart. And God knows and God knew that David's heart was to do that which pleased the Father and that's all that really matters. Now there are two applications. Get these down. When God says no, it is not necessarily a discipline but a redirection. I don't know how many times... I've heard people who have prayed and God has said no and they interpret that no as a, as a discipline from God or as a judgment of God upon them. It is not necessarily a discipline but a redirection. So we live from day to day obedient to follow the redirection. I was talking with Elwin just a minute ago about his work out in the Northwest and Reminded him of, of a young man that I knew by the name of Don Walker who was serving out there as a BSU student, BSU student director. Uh, this story may be familiar, but it's a perfect illustration. When I was pastoring in Seminole, Texas, the, my secretary had a daughter who was a missionary journeyman to, to Africa for two years. Her name was Irene. She came back to the seminary after two years as a journeyman to finish her seminary degree and she was wrestling with whether God was calling her to full-time missionary, to be a full-time missionary. And she, she wanted to be married, as a matter of fact. She wanted a husband, she wanted a family. That was her real desire. And she knew that if God was really calling her in the mission field and she made that commitment, the chances of being married pretty slim after you get out there. So she was wrestling with that. And she spent a summer working as a camp counselor over here at Nani Chaha, whatever that, is that the name of that place? Nani Chaha. And she came back after the summer into in, my office on Sunday night a, after completing her summer work to tell me that she had come to the conclusion that God was indeed calling her to be a missionary 
and that she had made that commitment. That was on Sunday night, about the third Sunday in August. The next week, she went with a group of seminary students to Alabama in a carpool to, 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 to attend, to, to be a part of the wedding of a friend. In this car was this man named Don Walker that she had never met. On the way to Alabama and back, they fell in love and got engaged. Now, it had been one week since she was in my office talking about surrendering to the mission field, the next Sunday night, they both came into my office to tell me that they were going to be married. And he was not a missionary or a mission volunteer. And we, the discussion that we had there was how could that be that one week she felt God calling her to be a missionary to a life of singleness, and the next week she felt that God had brought them together, they were in love, and they were going to be married. My answer to that was that it was a twofold answer, front side and back side. Front side of the coin was that what God was leading her unto all through the summer and their term in the seminary was to bring her to the place of commitment to the will of God regardless of what that will would be, wherever it would take her. And the second part of the answer is, and I live by this daily, is that what God's will might be for you today, if you live are living a day at a time, His will might be different for you tomorrow. Now, He doesn't conflict with his nature. But God might be leading you today to spend an hour every morning in prayer, but next week it might be 30. You see what I'm saying? God, we live a day at a time, and God leads us along on the basis of his sovereign will at that time. And oftentimes it is within the framework of God's plan that He redirects us. And our responsibility is not to have the reasons why, but to just live in obedience to follow Him. Second application is that God does not call everybody to build a temple. That is, God doesn't call everybody to be a preacher. God doesn't call everybody to be a missionary, etc., etc., and you know that story. I look at David's response. Now, we've come to the real kicker in this sermon. I believe it's this, that how am I to respond when God says no? How am I respond when God says no to my dream? Verse 18. Then David the king went in and sat. Now, I don't know how, how that strikes you, but I want you to underline that he sat before the Lord. Now, not every time will you find that kind of reference. Usually it's he stood before the Lord or he fell on his face before the Lord or he knelt before the Lord. It's highly suggestive and it means it's a picture of one who is totally reposed and, and, and satisfied with God's will. He just went in, sat before the Lord. Absolutely contented 
with God's will. How am I to respond when God says no with an attitude of contentment to that will to the point that I just, I'm going to repose before God. I'm not going to thrash around and worry about it. Now notice what happens. And he said, he begins these divine inquiries. He said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in thine eyes, O Lord, for thou hast spoken also of the house of thy servant concerning the distant future, and this is the custom of man, O Lord God. And again, what more can David... Notice that he uses his, his name. You ever notice that's what little kids do? When, when a little kid is talking about himself, he'll use his name, you know, like, can, can Gerald come out, you know, can... And, 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 and use his own name, refer to himself formally. It's just like a kid. I want you to see this. It's the picture of one who is like a little child before the Lord. And this is what he says. Now watch this. He has just heard God say no to his greatest dream. He has just heard the closing of the door to what he wants to do in life. And how does he respond to that? He responds like a little child sitting before at the feet of his father and instead of bringing up what God, how God has cheated him out of his dream, he's asking questions. Who am I, saying, to be protected when others are homeless? Who am I to be full when others are hungry? Who, who am I to be healthy when others are, are sick? See, And he just begins to pour out this gratitude that he has to God. Now, now he's not a man who's feeling cheated in life. There's no evidence, there's no indication here that he feels cheated in every way. All of a sudden he looks on the long privileges of his short life. And he says, God, you've been so good to me and I've been so blessed. Who am I to complain about one closed door? I tell you, before you get too upset with God when he closes the door and says no to your prayer, just remember how blessed you are. And there are three or four or five insightful declarations. Look at these and pray these. Sometimes when I, when I just want to find some prayer to pray to God, I'll look at some of these and this is one of them. Verse 22. For this is the reason thou art great, O God, O Lord God. There is none like thee. There is no God besides thee according to all that we've heard with our ears. Verse 25. Now therefore, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant in his house, confirm it forever and do as thou hast spoken. You do what you want to do with me. Verse 28. And now, O Lord God, thou art God, and thy words are truth, and thou hast promised this good thing to thy servant. Now therefore, may it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken, and with thy blessing may the house of thy servant be blessed forever. You know what he's doing? He's praying for his son. 
He's praying for the one who is going to get to fulfill the dream that David has had. Is this real? I mean, is it possible that a person would actually pray for the success of one who is going to fulfill his dream? I mean, can you pray for the success of one who is going to be doing what you want to be doing? Is this genuine or is this talk? Turn to the parallel verse. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. 1 Chronicles 22 verses 1 through 5. Get this and then we'll get applications and then we'll, hold, we'll head home. A little encouragement there. Keep you hanging in there. Chapter 22 verses 1 through 5. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. So David gave orders to gather the foreigners who were in the land of Israel and he set stone cutters to who had stones to build the house of God. Notice what he's doing. He's making sure that his, the one who succeeds him will have success in the fulfillment of the dream. A lot of us, I think, are are pretty or are much like this. If we can't succeed, we don't want the guy who follows us to. I'm watching football games over the weekend, and you know, and I, I couldn't help but think, you know, that <laughs> when they take one quarterback out, he's standing on the sidelines. I just kind of got a. I don't know this is true, but I know how I probably would feel. He's standing there thinking, "Well, I hope he fails." <laughs> the guy who follows him. Isn't that kind of the way we are? If I can't succeed, I don't want anybody else to. Not, not David. He's, he's getting so, he's fixing it, he's preparing it so that the one who follows him can succeed. What do you do when God closed the door for you? You make sure that the person who comes after you can find the open door. And he says, And David prepared large quantities of iron to make the nails for the doors of the gates and the clamps and more bronze than could be weighed. And the timbers of cedar logs beyond number, for the Sidonians and the Tyrrhenians brought large quantities of timber to David. And David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord shall be exceedingly magnificent famous and glorious throughout all the lands. Therefore, I will make preparation for it. So David made ample preparations before his death. It'd be amazing tonight. Somebody said, the world has not yet seen what can be done, if you don't mind who gets the credit. It's amazing tonight what could be done if we, if we just involved ourselves in the dreams of others. Two applications. You need to get these, if not others. Here it is. When God says no, He has a better way. He expects me to support. When God says no, he has a better way. He expects me to support. Second, 
our best reaction to closed doors, our best reaction when God says no, is cooperation. Our best reaction when God says no is cooperation rather than resentment. Let's pray together. Father, we are never, never, we never cease to be amazed how truthful is your word and how relevant and applicable it is to every day and how we can find again and again truth for the daily life. Thank you for this word tonight from your precious word. And now I pray that our response will be your, your desire, your will, in Jesus' name. I want to give you an opportunity to respond publicly to the invitation of, for salvation, to give your heart to Christ for his redemption and forgiveness, an invitation to join the church or rededication of your life. These are the invitations that God extends through his word and by his Holy Spirit. So we invite you, if God is calling you in, these, in one of these ways, to come while we stand to sing. Come.